Christian, God isn't mad or disappointed in you. He knows you fully and loves you perfectly. He provided a savior, not a goal. You're free to be yourself and come on in. Welcome to the Grace Cafe. Hello, friends. Mike Adams here with the Grace Cafe podcast. And sitting across the room for me is my lovely bride. Hi, I'm Susan. So we're Mike and Susan of the... of the. <laughs> what show am I on? Man, I hate when that happens. Of the Grace Cafe podcast. By the way, there's a plug for the End Sunday show. If you're not already uh, subscribed to it or listening to it, the End Sunday show with yours truly is also out there. But this is the Grace Cafe podcast. So we've emerged here from a bunch of projects that we've been doing around the house, some of which were time-sensitive in terms of the warranty on our house getting done. And so we had to get absorbed into some of that. And then a lot of it was just personal projects that we've been putting off that we decided to get done before it gets too hot here in sunny Arizona. Yeah, we were painting some furniture, and I found that I really love painting furniture. So I'm hoping to maybe start doing that more. I just have to find some furniture. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking for furniture donations. <laughs> right. Yeah, don't, don't send your furniture, please. <laughs> we have plenty. It's just been really busy. I'm learning new quilting skills to make our daughter a, a quilt for a surprise. I'm My goal is next Christmas, so I, I'm giving myself time to do it, but... Boy, as an Enneagram 9, I just put things off because it takes a lot of brain power to learn something new, and I have to learn to embroider. And I think you're going to do a terrific job of that. Yeah, if I can just do it. It's getting started. But I am meeting uh, some ladies, like this one woman. I went to a quilting class to learn how to do this particular quilt that I'm doing for our daughter. And I've gotten to meet with her a couple of times, and she's going to attempt to teach me crochet. But anyway, I'm not sure where she's coming from as far as spiritually, but I can tell that she's really been on a journey, and it's um, a real interesting journey. And I think there's a lot of sadness in her journey. And I'm really hoping that all of this time we start spending together or continue to spend together, that eventually she'll begin to open up. And I would just really like to share with her the freedom that we have found. Yes, exactly. Because that freedom is difficult to find when you're wrapped up in religion. It's almost impossible to find. Yeah, and I'm not even sure where she's at with all of that. You know, I mean, we did talk just a little bit, but we were learning to crochet another woman and I, and um, this woman that I'm, Forming, I think, a friendship with, I don't know yet. I want to. <laughs> I'm always all in. Hey, be my friend. <laughs> but she was shocked to hear that when, that it still existed, that churches um, wanted women to submit to men. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think she's been in the same circles as us. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. So, but little bits at a time, little bits at a time. Yep. That's exactly right. So there's been all of that going on, which has been good stuff for us. You know, it's given us an opportunity to 
do some crafty things together once again, which we used to do quite a bit. But after our move here, you know, things kind of uh, took a different course, and now we're getting back onto that. So anyway, we say all of that to just say that we've reemerged here with the Grace Cafe podcast, and uh, we're looking forward to this particular episode. Speaking of this particular episode, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the parameters that organized religion or organized church puts on you. In other words, we came out of a, a particular church environment most recently that um, said or kind of boasted or prided themselves on, well, we'll talk about anything in the Bible. We'll talk about oh, yeah. any topic. We'll we'll discuss anything. But that wasn't really true because you could only discuss things within the predefined walls of what was okay to discuss. And as long as they won. Yeah, that that too. <laughs> that too, exactly. In the end, you had to say, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true too. But just the idea that religion or organized church, organized religion, however you want to put it, puts parameters on us that say, yeah, you can talk about anything, man. We'll discuss anything with you as long as it's within this set of parameters. Mm -hmm. If you go outside of that, you're a heretic or you're fringe or you're, you know, someone to be avoided or you're dangerous. But the thing about that, the thing about having those parameters on what you, you can discuss is it fakes you out. It makes you think you've got freedom, all this freedom to be able to talk about anything, but you really don't. Mm -hmm. And it's really restrictive. I actually have a quote here from a guy that I want to read. I may have I may have read this on a previous episode or it may have been on the un, on Sunday show. I'm not real sure, but listen to this. This is a guy named, uh, well, I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> so he's a guy. <laughs> I think he's a guy. But anyway, it says this. He said this. The smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion, but allow very lively debate within that spectrum. That gives people the sense that there's free thinking going on, while all the time the presuppositions of the system are being reinforced by the limits put on the range of the debate. Wow, what an excellent quote. I mean, he nailed it right there. Yeah. This is the system that we came out of. It, it gave the impression, it gave you a false sense that there was all this freedom to talk about different things. And there was all this supposed lively debate, <clears throat> lively debate going on, as he puts it in this quote. But in reality, there's not. Because the system itself and the presuppositions of the system itself are being reinforced by the limits of the range of the debate. Wow, that's pretty precise. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we experienced for many, many years under the false impression that, wow, we are, we are really cutting edge. Berean. Yeah, we're, we're Berean, and we're really cutting edge. But that wasn't, the, that wasn't true because the system itself with its presuppositions about Submission to leaders and conformity and compliance and, you know, everything that goes along with that. I mean, that list is huge. We could go on and on and on about that. But all those presuppositions were just being reinforced by this under the guise of lively debate. 
because at the end of the day, it was controlled. It reminds me of Facebook. Facebook comments. Have you ever looked at comments on Facebook in a post that you like? So you go look at the comments to see what people are saying. On mine, it usually is filtered with most relevant. And I'm thinking, who decided what's most relevant for me? And so I always change it to all comments. But it just bugs me that it comes up by default most relevant. So number one, who's deciding what's most relevant? Well, in the church, it's the pastor. This is what you really need to be doing. You need to be paying attention over here. You need to be thinking this way. You need to be talking about this, you know, and on and on and on. That's what's most relevant. But another question I have in this idea of, you know, these most relevant comments is who's controlling the controllers? Who's controlling the people that have, that are trying to control you and saying, this is all you really need to know. Instead of the full spectrum of what's going on and seeing what everybody's saying about this particular post, and maybe Facebook's kind of a, you know, a dumb analogy here, but it, it drives home my point. In religious systems, in institutional church settings, you're only allowed to think about what's most relevant and what's most relevant is determined by the leadership and or the pastor, both either or however it goes. But then the question comes up again, who's controlling the controllers? And it's a power struggle. There's no way around that. It's just a power struggle. It's a power struggle that has the outward impression of lively debate, but it's really not. If you want lively debate, go outside the box. Move outside the parameters that the church or organization has told you that you have to function within. Then you'll get some lively debate and you will be marked out as, you know, a troublemaker. Yeah, it's interesting because I just watched a, a reel and uh, it's a former pastor who came to the conclusion that there's no hell. And as soon as he started saying that, he was cast out of all of the religious circles that he was involved in. That wasn't allowed, that topic was not allowed to be broached or questioned because. And I'm not saying yay or nay to anything, any doctrine. I'm just saying that there are certain things that are, you know, no, you don't touch that one. Sacred. Yeah. You don't, we don't go there. Yeah. And, and what's wrong with talking about it? Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with getting the ideas on the table and talking about it? Because, you know, what are we afraid of? I guess at the, at the end of the day, what are we afraid of? Well, within a religious context, you're pretty much afraid of everything. You're, you're afraid of losing control. <laughs> yeah. You're afraid that people are going to realize that they are indeed free. You know, when we believe we are set free, we are free. And we don't have to participate in these silly things. We don't have to be a part of the silliness that goes on in religious circles, of the controlling that goes on in religious circles. We don't have to be there. And that's what scares them. Again, it gets back to that quote, we'll talk about anything as long as it's within these predefined parameters. We won't talk about things like, are, is it really necessary for us to be in this building every week? It's just a given that, yes, you are, and that's not one of the topics we're willing to discuss. That's right. So if you broach that topic and you go outside that, uh, that assumed parameter, 
that, hey, this is, uh, this is a topic we're not going to talk about because you obviously have to be here, then you're, you know, you're going to get in trouble. It's just another one of those things. You're crossing a line where the, the leadership or the religious structure itself is threatened simply by you crossing the line. It gets back to the thing that we've said a number of times in the Grace Cafe and probably on the End Sunday Show, that religion or church teaches you what to think, not how to think. I think you're the first one that brought that up on the Grace Cafe when you said that, and it, it kind of blew me away, but it's so true. It teaches you what to think, think this way, A, B, C, D, E, F, get these all lined up. Here's your doctrine. Here's, here's our tribal doctrine in our denomination or our group or whatever. And now you need to line up with this, especially if you want to become a formal member, a formal church member, you have to agree to these different points. And so we're teaching you what to think. This is what you need to believe. This is what you need to think. Well, when grace, you know, when a better understanding of grace invades your life, all of a sudden you're thinking about other things. (laughs) Yeah. You're thinking about things that— And in different lights. Yes. And you're thinking about things that are going to be a threat to the institutional system that you're a part of or that you're coming out of or, you know, whatever. That's the work of the Spirit when you start to understand grace and you start to understand that, wow, I don't need to conform to these rules. They have no place in my life. Well, it's like, it's almost like your brain is opening up new pathways and lights are going off and you begin to consider other things that, well, maybe, maybe what I've been taught all these years isn't true. What lens have I been looking at it through? Yes. To come to this conclusion. Yes. And what are the options if I've been wrong in what I've been thinking? Yeah. It's okay. It's healthy to look at that stuff. It's healthy to, to talk that stuff out. It's healthy to have an outlet to be able to express those thoughts, even if you don't have the answers. You don't have to have the answers. You just, you know, talk. And that is so healthy. And when you're in a group of people who understand the grace that's been given to us and the freedom that we have in Jesus, that becomes easier to do because these parameters that were on us before are no longer there. But it's hard when you come out of that system to realize that they're not there. Yeah. And you still think, wow, I can't, I can't go across that line. Well, yes, you can. Because at the ultimate, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit who's your teacher. You know, we all have this anointing from the Holy One, we're told. It isn't, you know, this person has more of an anointing or more of a relationship with God or is closer to God than you are. Christ is in all of us equally. And there's no haves and have-nots. Those people don't exist. We're all, the playing field, if I can use that phrase, has been leveled in that, you know, there's no top-down authority. There's no, there's no one with um, more special unction from God or authority from God than anybody else. It isn't that way. That's, you know, that's what Jesus said. It's not to be that way among you. That's the system that church history has given us that's man-made. Sometimes it does get scary especially in the beginning when you first come into grace and start seeing things. It's kind of like you lose your security blanket of I I have all of my ducks in a row of what I believe, and this is why I believe it. 
And then all of a sudden, you don't. Is that your phone? Yes, that was my phone. And Gosh, I always I get reminded, put your phone on silence. I forgot. <laughs> but, but it does get scary, and it's really worth it. I think it's interesting, though, people are different in how they do that. Like, I didn't have the brain power to ev- evaluate each belief, so I just dumped it all. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't have it in me to go and look at everything logically, and or not logically, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Study it again to see where I stood. So, I think a lot of it was because of the way— you know, we were beat up, and the way things were handled, it was so bad, we just didn't care anymore. Yeah. I Personally, I had no—what's uh, the word I'm looking for? I had no desire to go back and sort anything out. I was just fed up. I was tired of it all, and I was ready to just not be there, not be in that performance mode, not be in that performance environment where you're, you're constantly—you know, sanctification is, is viewed as progressive— and the goal is to constantly get better. Well, how do you know when you've arrived? Well, you don't. You never arrive. That's the point. It keeps you busy. Let's go back to Elf for a minute that we've talked about before. That scene in Elf right at the end of the movie. Everybody's, you know, Christmas has been celebrated and everybody's excited and they're all ready to throw a party. And then somebody stands up and says, okay, let's prepare for next year. Yeah. That's how religion is. Okay, let's prepare for next Sunday. Well, that's how it was at the Super Bowl. Yeah. They were interviewing one of the coaches or one of the players, and he goes, yep, now it's time to get back in there and get ready for next year. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's, <laughs> that's exhausting. True. That's true. <laughs> but it pays well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that you know, it's a false freedom. Religion, organized religion, institutional church, institutional religion gives us a false sense of freedom. It isn't real. No. And we know it isn't real because if you venture outside of the uh, of the prescribed parameters and you press the limits, you'll find out real quick that it's not real. And that's the way it is. Another thing that this should lead to, or that this leads to in my thinking anyway, not that it should lead to, but that it leads to in my thinking, is our freedom in Jesus. So let's talk about freedom for just a minute. When we start to understand or get a better understanding of the grace of God and what it means and and what it really means, we start to understand more of the freedom that we have in Jesus. And we start to understand that we don't have to sweat the small stuff. We don't have to sweat the big stuff. Jesus has all the skin in the game and all the blood in the game. And he did it all. And he did it to set us free. Whom the sun sets free is truly free. But we don't live like that. We don't know how to live like that. I don't know how to live like that because I'm too used to a religious environment. Mm-hmm. When you spend years in that, you know, how do you start to express the freedom in Christ that you have? That's not easy. But as you progress through and you're listening to other grace people talk about their experiences and about how. Their understanding of of Scripture has changed in this area or that, and you start to glean things from them. You start to realize that you're you know you're growing in grace at the same time, and one of the one of the main ways that you're growing in grace is by bumping up against other grace believers who 
are of similar mindsets. Not that we're cookie cutter. That's right. not the point. No, yeah, none of us are. No, exactly. And the the diversity in the body of Christ needs to be there. It needs to stay there. That's the whole point. That's the whole idea. It's, it's a body. We're not all a mouth. We're not all a nose. We're not all ears. It's an entire body. And no one part of the body can say to another part of the body, well, I don't need you. You know, you, you can't do that. But as you begin to understand slowly the freedom that you have and, and you're listening to other people's experiences and so forth, and you start to glean from their wisdom and from their experience, and you, you start to realize more and more how free you are in Jesus and that regardless of where, we at or where we're at in our walk, we haven't really even scraped the surface in that. Just the, the freedom that we have. Our friend Amber did a post on Instagram oh, yeah. a while back, you know, and she equated our resting in Jesus with uh, drooling. <laughs> I thought <laughs> it was, was good. perfect, man. It was great. But her whole thing was when we are so relaxed and we're, you know, maybe we're taking a nap during the day or whatever, and we're just resting and we're so relaxed that we catch ourselves drooling. And when I read that, I thought, man, there's a spiritual lesson right there because when we're resting in Jesus, there's like spiritual drooling going on. I mean, you get so, he wants us to be so relaxed in him. That's the point. I mean, look at what he's done. He's forgiven us all of our sins, past, present, and future. He's given us his spirit living in us, literally. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He's literally spatially in you. As Andrew Farley likes to say, he cleaned house and moved in. I like that. I like that analogy. So our sins have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us, and he's never going to leave us. We've been completely sanctified. We've been set apart. We've been made holy by his one sacrifice. That's already done. The forgiveness of sins is already done. All of this is past tense, and it's ours. We have a new life in him because just in the same way that we died with him, we've been raised with him in newness of life. And so we have this new resurrected life. We have the life of God in us. And so we have all of this stuff going on or that's been done for us, not that's going on, but that's been done for us that we get by simply believing. That's it. Remember when that group of people came to Jesus and said, he said something like, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Mm-hmm. Do you remember his answer? It was very simple. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom God has sent. That's pretty simple. So I can, you know, I, I envision these people showing up, these guys showing up with their, you know, they have their iPads and their tablets and everything. They're ready to take notes. Jesus, tell us what we need to do to be doing the works of God. We're ready. We're ready to write this down. Give us the outline. Give us the points. Give us the details. Can you imagine their disappointment when Jesus said, just believe? Because he did everything. He did all the work. Again, he has all the skin in the game. He has all the blood in the game. And we are his beneficiaries. We are co-heirs with Christ. Not by what we do, but because we've believed. And that's it. And that's never going to be taken away. That ought to lead us to securely rest in Him and to be able to get so relaxed and comfortable in Him that we find ourselves drooling, (laughs) (laughs) just kind of in a spiritual coma. But do you have anything you want to add before I get to this this quote here? No, go ahead and read the quote. 
Okay, so this is a quote from uh, Brad Robertson that I think we've talked about on here before, or I posted it on Instagram or something, I don't remember. But he said this. He said, how do we know when we're resting in Christ? We know we're resting in the work of Christ when we stop asking for forgiveness. When we stop trying to get cleansed from sins. When we stop trying to purify ourselves from sins. When we stop trying to get close to God by practicing a set of disciplines or following a certain formula. That's a fantastic quote. It is. And I had put that in my stories at one point. And boy, it didn't take long for (laughs) people who don't understand grace. What they hear when they read that quote was, I need to quit looking at my sin and just go do whatever I want and sin all I want because it's all been taken care of. That's what they hear. Yeah, they missed the point. Yeah. Completely missed the point. Again, it's because we're so conditioned to being religious and to being churchy. And having someone up front showing us how to live. Yeah. And taking verses out of context and telling us that that's, that that's the stuff that we need to be doing is their opinion of a, of a verse taken out of context. <laughs> that just reminds me, I was uh, told to a group of people, I was playing Call of Duty this week. And one of the, this one guy's gamer tag was God's alpha male. And I showed it to you and I said, do you think that guy's a pastor? <laughs> <laughs> But that's almost like what it is. You know, we're just used to having like this alpha male up front telling us what to believe. You know, it's interesting too, the timing on this, because I got a hold of a Kindle book that I heard referenced on uh, Julie Roy's podcast, The Roy's Report. Mm -hmm. She was interviewing a guy who was talking about the, uh, the badness, if you will of top-down authority in the church and how that it doesn't belong there. And that isn't what Jesus has in mind. That isn't, that isn't the body of Christ. And just how harmful that whole hierarchy within church structures is. And he wrote a book. I don't remember the name of it right now. It's on my Kindle. But one of the chapters, I think chapter one, is called the Alpha Male. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> or the Alpha Pastor or something like that. And just how that we think that this one person is the alpha, you know, the alpha male within the uh, pack. Yeah. And so it's more like a wolf pack than it is, you know, an ecclesia or an assembly because we've got this alpha male running things. And I haven't got into the book very far yet, but it looks like it's going to be a good one. But he's talking about that same thing, that we've got this alpha male and that this alpha male doesn't belong there. And it's unfair to the alpha male. And it's unfair to the rest of the body of Christ. So it looks like it's going to be a good book. I'll, I'll talk about it again at some future episode uh, once I've got further into it, you know, if it looks like it's going to be good stuff and recommend it. But, but anyway, back to Brad's quote here. We know we're resting in the work of Christ when we stop asking for forgiveness. That's powerful. I had to stop and think about that for a second, just a real short second. Because it kind of mowed me over, and I thought, wow, there it is, right there. We've been told that that passages like 1 John 1.9 are about continually asking for forgiveness over and over and over again, but that's a lie. That is a false gospel. That is not true. That is not what that verse is all about. Well, what do you think about when people say, well, it's not really about confessing, 
because it's already dealt with, but we need to go to him and agree with him that what I did was wrong and I'm sorry that I did it. What do you think about that? Well, that's where certain church leaders, and especially in the Reformed camp, will tend to separate forgiveness into two categories, maybe three, but at least two. They'll say that there's the legal forgiveness that we have in Jesus, that he views us as righteous, but then there's a relational forgiveness, and our relationship with him can be hindered. And so we need to be confessing our sins so that we stay in relationship with him, so he stays close to us. And so it becomes works. It becomes works to somehow keep God close to us, even though Christ is in us. Yeah. And he's never going to leave. And so they separate that. They separate that into— Make it complicated. Yeah, they make it complicated. That's exactly right. They make it complicated, and they make it sound like God continuing to like you and to not be mad at you depends on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, especially with my background growing up and just in the church, overcoming the part that God has disappointed in me is still once in a while a battle. Yeah. Because he's not disappointed in you. You know, the day that the day that God is disappointed in you is going to be the day that God is disappointed in Jesus' sacrifice for you. That's when he's going to be disappointed with you. And that's never going to happen. That's not going to happen. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you, forsake you. It's a done deal. But we take verses like 1 John 1, 9, and we, and we manipulate them in order to produce guilt because we don't want to tell people they're free. But when you look at the context of 1 John 1, 9, he's talking to unbelievers in that first chapter. He's talking to those who are sin deniers. In fact, he writes that in the, in the opening verses of chapter 1. He says, I'm writing these things to you that you might have fellowship with us. We want you to become a part of what we've discovered. We want you to become a part of Jesus. We want you to become a part of the body of Christ. We want you to be able to enjoy the forgiveness of sins. Well, why weren't they enjoying the forgiveness of sins? Because they were denying sin's existence. And John is saying, look, if you acknowledge that, if you, if you agree with God about what he says about sin, you're going to have fellowship with us. You're going to experience the grace of God, which has been poured out in abundance. Because the forgiveness of sins has already taken place at the cross. That's why Paul said we preach the forgiveness of sins. Wow. Okay. There it is. And when John is saying in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he's talking about coming to faith. This is a verse designed for unbelievers, not for believers. And it's just believing. Yes. Yeah, I, I I think about that. If we leave it at just believing and don't have sets of rules and things that you have to follow that, okay, what what we rules we've set here aren't going to work in India, in the poorest parts of India or Africa or things like that. So then there they can't be yes. for us. I pick, kind of picture it like when you believe, before you believe the world is in black and white, this is just my thought, you, it's in black and white. And when you believe, then you begin to see color 
and the ripples of color through your life. And everyone else who believes sees color. And so pretty soon, it's just people walking around in color rather than black and white. And it's just beautiful. And it's about relationship. And it's about my journey in my color is going to look different than someone else's journey in their color. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. but No, that's, that's a good analogy. I still remember... Well, I don't remember it, I guess. I remember the videos that I've seen about it <laughs> where um, the day that television in the 1950s, I mean, I was around for part of the 1950s, but I wasn't watching television. I was pretty little. But sometime in the 1950s or maybe early 60s, somewhere in there, when television went to color for the first time, there's a video floating around out there somewhere about this. And I remember seeing this video and it was kind of wild because these these two news anchors and, you know, everybody looked so old back then. These guys looked like they're 90, you know, and they're sitting there talking about news. And then all of a sudden they said, well, we're, we're going to now switch to color. This is going to become a color colorized version of our little news thing. And so one of them walks over to this other desk, I guess, where there was a different camera, which was a color camera, which was brand new technology. And all of a sudden the picture switched to him and it was black and white. And then it just went to color. And I was thinking, man, that must have been amazing Yeah, for those people at that time. You know, go ahead. what I just remembered is remember when they went to, I don't know terminology, was it 4K or whatever? What was it when TV went to something really special? And so- High def? Yeah, Yeah. high def. And then our news guys that we watched, I thought, ooh, not a good look for them. (laughs) All of a sudden you're seeing all the little flaws. That's why I don't do a lot of video. <laughs> yeah, anyway, but, sorry. Yeah, but could you imagine what it must have been like watching that live? You know, yeah. and seeing, wow, here's color. It's the same thing. That's a good analogy that you brought up. Because one minute you're in this religious environment where if everything is black and white. And then when the Holy Spirit starts to lead you deeper into grace, all of a sudden you get the colorized version. And you, you think, wow, there's some real beauty going on here. Mm-hmm. This needs to be explored. I want to be a part of this. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of this. This is new. This is exciting. So, no, it's a great analogy. But we take this, we take stuff like this freedom, this idea of freedom, and that we have to continually ask God for forgiveness, and we burden each other with it because we don't understand the context. And if if I'm responsible for confessing all of my sins, what happens if I forget one? And when am I finished? Mm-hmm. When, when am I done? I mean, while I'm confessing sins, if I have an evil thought, you know, the, I mean, this is endless. This is, it's Oh, it's nonsense. endless, especially for someone who's introspective like I am. And, yes. And I think you are. Yes. It's absolute nonsense. You know, it's, it's meaningless. It's pointless. Well, and it causes anxiety. I know that I never had anxiety until we were in that situation where it was constantly examining myself and constantly trying to do it right and be right and live right. And it's really helped my anxiety to live in freedom, although I still have bouts because that's just a thing that happens when you've had high anxiety. But I tell you, freedom, freedom is a place to rest. Mm-hmm. And that brings us, I mean, it's just all lumped together, and it's its a beautiful thing to rest and have freedom. It is. And 
religion puts these restrictions on us that don't allow us to be free. Yeah. And when we finally come to realize that, wow, I am free, and we start to explore all that that means, which is going to be a lifelong exploration of what it means to be free in Jesus, then you become a threat to the system and you don't belong there anymore. And they're either going to kick you out by what they call church, church discipline, discipline, or you're going to come to the conclusion that, wow, I got to get out of here. This is killing me. Because, in, you know, back to First John real quick, when, you, when we're reading First John, what if a believer does sin? What if I do? Then what? Well, it isn't First John chapter 1 that you need to be reading. You need to keep reading. Because we stop at verse 9, and we stop there, and we think, oh, woe is me. I need to be confessing everything. But wait a second. John addresses the idea of a believer, when a believer sins, what to do or what the reaction should be in chapter 2. He says it right at the beginning of chapter 2. So people keep reading. He says, my little children. And so he has moved from those outside the fellowship. I'm writing these things so you can come in and be a part of us. Now he's moved to the believers in the assembly that he's addressing. And he says, my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, ooh, here we go. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the righteous one. What does that mean? That means that John is presenting the gospel to them all over again. If you do sin, remember Jesus. Remember that your sin has been forgiven. Remember that it has been taken away. Remember that you are secure in him. Remember that he is your life. Remember that he is your advocate. He has died for you by name, specifically. And he is still in you. He has not abandoned you. He is not disappointed in you. That is a healthy view. That is the view that we need to have. That even when I'm failing and even when I'm sinning or when I sin, God hasn't abandoned me. What should I do? Remember, you have an advocate with a father. John preached the gospel to them. He didn't tell them, well, plead for forgiveness. Boy, turn repentance into a religious work, a, a religious groveling of some sort, and grovel before God until you feel like you're forgiven. You're already forgiven. Well, it, it puts expectation on us that we're, our life is going to continue to get better. I don't mean wealth-wise. Right. I mean— I know what you mean. Morally right. And the expectation kills. I just know it killed my soul, mm-hmm. all the expectation. And I know people will say, well, we never had expectations, and I just <laughs> laugh. But Yeah, that's such a humorous thing. The other night I was over at a—in the neighborhood, they have a bunco group, and I was over playing bunco with these ladies. And this one lady and I talked that, oh, we were— st- in this other, not neighborhood, but community women's group that went to dinner once in a while and did things to make friends. And I backed out of it because uh, she said that she she didn't like it because there's a woman in there who just had all these expectations of that we would be at certain amount of things and we would do a certain amount of things. And I told her, I said, you know, I've just reached the age where I'm just, I don't do expectations anymore. <laughs> I don't. I can't. They just crush people. 
And so that's why I don't have to look at our kids or our friends and say, well, my expectations for them is that by this time they should be here or they should be doing this or their lives should do this. I don't have expectations. I just want to love people around me and let God move them as he sees fit. That's right. The Holy Spirit's working in them and according, not that, not according that, to his, his plan. Yeah, not that I've arrived and I'm waiting for them to catch up with me. <laughs> we're just all different. Like you keep saying, I keep saying we're just so different. Our lives have been different. Our backgrounds are different. We just need to have grace for everybody. Yes. Just grace. We have one job, and that's to love people. Yep. Yep, exactly. And, of course, when you're in a harsh environment, loving people means you need to, you need to put them in a spiritual headlock and, you know, give them a spiritual full Nelson and get them to submit to you and conform. And and say, I do this in love. Yeah. Say, you know, beat you up spiritually and then turn around and say, oh, I love you. I know. How many times did that happen? I know. Oh, my gosh. Just getting beaten up and then standing up and saying, okay, I love you. Now we're done. Yeah. It's like, okay, I won. <laughs> my gosh. That's such, never mind. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. It's pretty wild. So. Yeah, I like but, I like freedom. I do too. We used to have a dog named Freedom. Yeah, we did. We had I a German about shepherd that. named Freedom back in the olden days. No. Back before church. Back before religion. Oh, I should have kept her. <laughs> <laughs> we should have held on to freedom. <laughs> we, we should have stuffed her. <laughs> As a reminder. That's right. Freedom. Here's what you're about to lose when you get involved in church. And, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So I appreciated Brad's uh, quote when he put that out there. I'm sure he took some heat for it as well. But, he, you know, it just talks about we know we're resting in Christ when we stop trying to purify ourselves. Yep. From sins. Yeah. We've already been made pure. The work is done. The work is finished and we get to rest. And then the last part we get of it, to drool. Yeah, we get to drool. Amber, we get to drool. And then the last part of that quote, you know, when we stop trying to get close to God by practicing a set of disciplines oh or gosh. following a certain formula. Yep. I was involved in a, uh, I guess it was a campus group. The word campus wasn't in the name of the group, but it was one of those deals. Remember that? And there was, uh, I don't really want to name the group, but there was this expectation, you know, of spiritual disciplines. You need to be reading this. Yeah. You know, you need to be on this schedule. You need to make sure that you're you're meeting with other guys regularly and that you're you're praying regularly and you know, all these rules and regulations. Church. You know, it it's a substitute for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it is. And it's a pathetic substitute well, for I mean, the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you think about it with our children, I mean, I homeschooled, so there was a little bit of difference there, but that's just not what the relationship is. It's hopefully loving and yeah. tender. And there was a, we were in a conversation earlier this week with some people, and I thought of the topic of, you know, when Jesus was praying for Jerusalem. And, you know, he's, he's weeping, right? And he's praying for Jerusalem. And he says, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've desired to gather you as a mother hen gathers its chicks. And I thought, what a tender view of our God. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, I want to gather you as a rooster <laughs> with top-down authority. And, man, you better obey me. The pecking order? Yeah, the pecking order. But no. As a mother hen would gather its chicks, and, you know, there's protection there, there's safety there, there's softness there, there's kindness there, there's warmth there, there's an invitation there. 
That's the God we serve. That's the God who loves us unconditionally, right where we are. That's him. That's a description of him, but that's not the description we're going to normally hear in church or in institutional religion. Right. It's going to be some form of a harsh God that requires you to jump through hoops to keep yourselves in his good graces. And that's a, that's a bunch of bunk. Speaking of bunko, this is bunk without the O. <laughs> so I guess we should wrap it up there unless you've got something else that you want to talk about. No, that's it. All right. Well, we'll let you all go. And uh, thanks once again for tuning in to the Grace Cafe podcast. And until next time, y'all take care. Thank you for joining us on the Grace Cafe podcast. To be a part of this ongoing conversation, visit us online at gracecafepodcast.com. Thank you.